to pray in the new year right now. Now, a lot of times we have what's called watch night service, and we pray in the new year at midnight, and we didn't get to be together as a family at midnight last night, which was nice. We got to see the ball go down, which was nice. Um, but we're going to pray in the new year together right now. This is this is the Sunday, the first of January, and just the same as we wouldn't, uh, would be eleven years before we would worship together again on Christmas Day. It is the same way. So it will be eleven years before you will again have Sunday morning on January first. It'll be what does that make it? Twenty. 34. In 2034, and if we're all together again and Jesus hasn't come again by then, we'll do it again. But we're going to pray in the new year uh, right now. Alright, so I'm going to ask everybody to pray with me. I'm not praying by myself. Uh, you can pray. If the Lord leads you to pray something different than me, that's okay. However you feel led to pray. But do, let's pray together for this new year. Okay, here we go. Father in heaven, you have given us Every moment of every day. It's not just January 1st or just Sundays. It's not even just time together, although you've given us January 1st and Sundays and time together for sure. You've given us all of this. You've taken care of us in the middle of crazy moments in time where things were breaking, things were falling down, things were stopping us from doing what we felt like we should do. Um, we pray for Lynn this morning who has had her glasses were broken. She's waiting for him to be glued so she could drive. To church, she plan on being here. Pray that she will be able to be here. Pray that she's blessed and knows that she's overcoming. Lord, I pray for the young man from the other side of the car accident that I was in this morning. Lord, I pray that he and his friend who were in the car are not uh, not sore, not hurting, not in pain. Um, but Lord, this day, which is the day that you have made, begins a new year for us, a new calendar year, another trip around the sun as the. Uh, those who study the, the sun, the moon, the stars, think about it, Lord. And we are grateful for this day. We are grateful for this year, this moment in time as it is connected to, and it will form a basis for, and it will launch all the rest of this year, all the rest of our days here on the earth. Yesterday morning did that too, launched all the rest of the days on the earth. But this is January 1st, 2023. And we know that we won't come together on a Sunday morning and worship you again and have it be January 1st for 11 years. And that's crazy to think about how long those spans of time are. Look back 11 years ago, there was a question that came up last night playing Family Feud, the game, about things that were cheaper 10 years ago. And the truth is, it could be everything. Everything was cheaper 10 years ago. Everything was different. Most of the adults in this room were a lot younger. For the older adults, we were faster, maybe stronger, maybe less worried about or concerned about certain things. Or for the kids in this room, some of them probably weren't even born 11 years ago. And so, so much has changed since then, and so much is likely to change in the next 11 years. And Lord, we want to commit this day, this moment in time, this Sunday, this worship, all of it, everything that goes on in this building today, the children's lessons, the sermon I'm super excited about. Lord, there have been attacks but you have overcome every single one. And we want to commit and dedicate every moment of all of this and going forward tomorrow and next Sunday and all the Sundays for 11 years and for the rest of our lives. And that'll mean adulthood for some and it'll mean retirement for some and it'll mean going home to be with you for some in the next 11 years. Lord, but every moment of it, we want to dedicate it to you. Take this calendar year 
Lord, and make it yours. And do all kinds of cool things in it. Show us your amazing grace, your loving kindness, your mercy toward us. Because we know we sure could mess it up. Thank you for the forgiveness that's available through your son. And now, take it, Lord, and make it what you would have it to be. Every note, every song sung, every person overcoming the feeling like they don't want to sing, every child that's struggling to read the words on the screen to be able to see what it says, or others who maybe have vision difficulties or reading difficulties, just overcoming, Lord, that we could worship you. Help us, God. Help us and be our God. January 1st and every day this year, you be in charge. Help us do amazing things in your name. Lead people to understand who you are. Make tough decisions about what to cut out of our lives and what to make the highest priorities. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In this 2023, this year that is your year. I know a lot of people are thinking about New Year's resolutions or thinking maybe it'll be better for me this year. Lord, it's not going to be any better for us that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because we know where we're going and we know what we're about and we know what you're doing and you're going to fulfill your promises and we're counting on that. And it even could be this is the calendar year in which Jesus returns. So we might not even get 365 days. And how many other days we do get? We want to use them for you. You do what you want to do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to trade in our sorrows in 2023. So if you would stand with us, except for the two of us have to sit. But anyways, the rest of you can stand. And I'm standing. discipline for the next six months. So we will go through uh, the end of May, actually it'll be so five months and 22 days or whatever, because uh, we, we cut into our new one at the end of November actually, but we didn't announce that we were in the Christmas season. And so our spiritual discipline for the next five months and 22 days will be Bible memorization. So we're going to be memorizing Bible verses and encouraging ourselves to memorize Bible verses. And today we're going to talk about why we memorize Bible verses. So first of all, before we do that, does anyone have a Bible verse memorized that they would be willing to share? We'll go with the youngest person who's willing to do it first. I got RJ. Anybody younger than RJ who is willing to share a Bible verse from memory? A couple of them are not hard. At least she's younger than RJ. She's <laughs> undercutting just like that. Got in there just a little bit. Everybody can remember that. Alicia is the younger of the two. All right. Anybody else? I know you know them. What's the key verse for God's kids? Come on. Ariana, you just quoted this verse to me two days ago. 
I know you know it. <laughs> Don't remember? Is it the Bible verse for God's kids? Philippians 4.13. No? Yes? I can? Strength and get that part at the end. Very good. Okay, so she's so she's eight. Anybody younger than eight that can, can do a Bible verse? Okay, now we'll go up from there. Nine. Anybody nine that can do a Bible verse? Ten. Eleven. Twelve. And pass by you pass. No courage there, Jason, to give me a Bible verse? Are you sure? What about John 3 16? No? Okay, Ty? Ty, you got one? We're right in your age group. Anything popping into your head? Say it again? Do you, have, do you have one or no? No? Okay, nothing popping in your head. This is why. This is one of the reasons why we do Bible memorization. The pastor might stand up and say, who can quote a Bible verse from memory? That's one of the reasons right there. All right? 12, 13, 14, 15. Artie's not even in the room. He's going to count me. fast. 17. <laughs> 20. <laughs> 52. No, no, no. no. <laughs> what? Fast you up. All right? Okay, Alicia, go. Jeremiah 29 11. For know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. All right, very good. And there's not much room between the two of you, I don't think. Anybody in between Alicia and RJ? I told you, RJ. Anybody under, like under 32? But over 31. But over 31. RJ, you got one? Yeah. Go. Psalms 144.1. Praise be to the Lord who trains my hand and worker in my hands. Amen. Amen. All right. About uh, anybody under 35? Michael, I know you got your key verse for your for social sanctuary. Maybe I can do it. Maybe. I feel like I'm a little bit rattled right at the moment. Um, it's um. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, build in vain. Right? Yeah. And it's, uh, is it Malachi 5 2? No, that's not Psalm 129. Psalm 1. Something like that. Right. We can't do the first. You don't have to. No, the funny thing about Bible, memorizing Bible verses, you don't have to. It's good if you do. It really helps later. But you don't have to memorize the reference because the reference is not biblical. It just helps you remember where it's at. <laughs> so you don't have to, but you really do need to memorize scripture. And we're going to talk about why in a second. Okay? How about up to 40? Anybody under 40 that, we have, that hasn't gone yet? Josh? <laughs> yes, and one of the greatest verses as to why we memorize scripture. That's a good one. Right? David wrote that bad boy. That's, he said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And there's another one that David wrote that really strikes us. Um, okay? Anybody under 45? James chapter 1, every good and perfect gift comes from above, but which has come down from the Father of heavenly lights. Amen. Ron? We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us in our fellowship with God the Father and the Son. And word perfect. Well done, sir. <laughs> That's the key verse for the church. That would be my verse. I, I love that verse. All right. Uh, where, where were we at? How about under 50? Anybody under 50 doesn't go on? How about 55? Amen. Chris. Five fourteen six. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father. The way, the truth, and the life. Yes. The one word out of order. In that. I love you. Okay, <laughs> that's a great verse. All right. Sixty. Sixty-five. <laughs> 
Oh, you rest there? <laughs> what? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Word perfect. Beautiful. Okay. So, why? Tell me why. Why do we memorize Bible verses? You don't always have your Bible. That's a good one. That's a good starting point. A very good starting point. Okay. What else? Give me another reason. Why do we memorize Bible verses? Discipline. It is a discipline. That is correct. And every discipline, as Paul would remind Timothy, every physical discipline is good for you, but every spiritual discipline is profitable. Right? It will make a difference in your life and in eternity. It means something for eternity. Every spiritual discipline. Yeah, good stuff. What else? Why else? To live by and share with others. Amen. Yeah. I have been in a number of witnessing situations where, in fact, the, <laughs> I'm going to say... It may have been the first, it was definitely in the first three people that I ever led to Christ as a young Christian. I was working for the Iwana, with the Iwana program, I was making a visit, there was a young girl that had come to Christ in, uh, in what they call council time, and I went to go visit her dad, and I, we stood on his porch for over two hours, about two and a half hours, talking through the gospel, and I was trying to get him to accept Christ, and he wasn't stopping talking, he didn't want to walk away, so he was talking and talking and talking. And we were reading the Bible, and we got to the point where I really got to, I could actually start sharing with him out of the Bible. Previous to that, it was all kind of like working in that direction, and I pulled my Bible off, and like about five minutes after I read, I think Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and John, John 3, 16, and then the lamp, the light on the porch burned out. Like if we're standing there, the light above us went dark, and we were in his porch, and you couldn't see, and neither one of us had a flashlight, this was before the days you could turn the flashlight on your phone or whatever, and it was before the days of having a phone Bible, a backlit Bible on your phone, so all I had was my Bible, and I, and I, and I said to the Lord, so I, I can't, now I can't do it, we couldn't go inside, because he had two great big dogs, and I would, they made me afraid, and they were barking at the door and stuff, and there were kids inside, but they couldn't keep them under control, and so I had to do everything from memory. And back then, I was in Awana, and I had learned all these Sparky verses, and I, and I learned so much that I could do all of it from memory, and he prayed to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And uh, afterwards, he went inside, and the dogs, not supervised by the children, had destroyed the entire house and eaten their dinner off the stove uh, while we were doing it. But he did accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but I needed the Bible verses that I had memorized through it because I couldn't read my Bible. So it can happen that you need the Bible verses in order to share the gospel. And, you know, when nobody quoted the classic Bible verse, you always see people holding up a placard at football games. And one of the reasons why John 3.16 is so popular is because the gospel is pretty well laid out in there. Right? And so if you have that verse and just a couple of others, you, you got it. You got everything you need to share the gospel with somebody and, and win to Christ. That's good stuff. What else? One more, any more reasons why we memorize scripture? Today, the Bible made illegal. Have it in your mind, in your heart. Amen. You will always have it. And, and not only that, but it is illegal right now in many countries. There are so many countries in which owning a Bible or bringing a Bible across their national boundaries is illegal. And they will at least take it from you, if not punish you very severely for having it. And so, missionaries memorize the word because you, you just can't. Um, there are cases where people had memorized the Bible so completely that they were able to write down vast tracts of Scripture from memory. Now, whether they got a word perfect or not, it's another thing, but they were able to go into a place where they couldn't take a Bible and then write down hundreds or thousands of verses from memory 
that they could then use to win people to Christ, because it is illegal in some countries. Hopefully that won't happen in America, but it could uh, at some point in time. Hopefully it won't. And when we were back at East Ludo, we did this thing where we had the kids all come together and meet in the, in the annex house, and then we had some people come in and pretend to be like with authorities and take all the Bibles out of the room. And then after they left, we continued Bible study only with the verses that we had memorized. So that really could happen someday, and you may need them. Um, the truth is, you will be saved if you're saved. I mean, it's not going to change whether you're saved or not, but having the Bible verses could be huge. Great, great hope and comfort. All right, is there one more? Point eight. Well, the Bible says that if you um, keep God's word in your heart, and then it may not sin against you. You can hide it. So the idea is that it says it may not sin against you. It doesn't mean you can't still. The idea is that when we have God's word in our heart, there is power, there is truth. And that word itself, it's not us that proclaimed it. It was God that proclaimed it or inspired by others. It's his living word, hopeful truth. So yeah. It has power. It's, it's true. It is a weapon. It is his weapon, and we are allowed to use it, and we're, we should use it. And if somebody came up to you and gave you a weapon that you could use, that would you could use it to conquer the enemy, defend yourself, overcome difficulties, whatever, would you not train to use that weapon? Absolutely, right? You, you're like, well, this is it. This is the only weapon I need for the rest of my life for this, this battle, every battle I'll ever be in. And it makes sense to use it. That's very, very good stuff. All right, another? Did you have something? Well, you going off of what you just said, it's, the fact that it's a weapon is kind of funny because I was talking in our youth lesson a couple ago about how the, the Bible is used, the Bible, the verses and everything, use them as weapons against the enemy. And I used the analogy of gun. If you have a gun, but you don't know how to use it, then what good is it? You shouldn't have it. Yeah, it, it, it could be dangerous, it could be misused, and it's the same with our Bible. If we don't have the word, it's not as good. But if we have it, but we don't use it, it's not as good. Equally, yeah. And then the other part is, is if we have it and we know what to do with it, it is dangerous to the enemy. Amen. That's a very good word. And as a weapon, it is designed to conquer territory both in our hearts and minds and in the hearts and minds of others. You will have more effect using the Bible to, to, make, to make an impact in somebody else's life than all the persuasive words that you could ever come up with. Okay. I'm going to read this word to you, and then we'll close this little conversation out here. Uh, this is from 2 Timothy uh, 2.15. I would encourage you. In fact, all the children, listen up, because I'm going to have treats next week, and anybody else, uh, and Brother Tony will be here uh, and available to, uh, you can say the verse to him uh, before even you can say it to me. So uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, Handling accurately the word of truth. And to be diligent is to work. So there's work to be done. The work just might be repeating the words over and over and over again. Or you might record them on a device and listen to them over and over and over again. Or you might go in your Bible and underline it. Or maybe you own seven Bibles. And you go in every Bible you have and underline it in all seven Bibles. right? Or you write it out on note cards over and over again. By the way, if you write out that verse with your hand, with a pen... And write it out on a piece of paper 20 times. By the time you're done, you'll have it memorized. No other work is necessary. Just because you'll be writing it out and that, that mechanical motion of putting it in your brain over and over again will memorize it for you. Okay? And that, of course, for those of you who remember Alana, that is the Alana key verse. Um, and really, uh, it isn't only about memorization. It's, it's also about study. 
Okay? Because what, as RJ was saying, others were saying, being able to use the weapon is about knowing how to use it well. Because people do use this Bible to try to tell people to do things that they shouldn't do. It goes just the other way sometimes. They misuse the Word of God because people do things that they shouldn't do. Okay. Did anyone come in here today with an urgent, passionate, God said this to me and I need to share it? If not, we're going to pray. All right, Miss Chris, go. Video. Yeah, a short video. <laughs> this reminds me because every day at my work, there is a question on the form, do you identify as a Christian? And so many people will answer this, they'll hesitate and answer yes. Or they will outright say yes, but then you ask them what church they go to, and they'll tell you it's the, you know, uh, Jehovah's Tuck, uh whatever it's called, the Church of the Mormon, or Jehovah Witness, or any of the many other ones. And so, it reminds me that when I ask them that question, I need to truly ask them, well, what does that mean to you, before I mark that box, yes or no. <laughs> so, it's just, and going along with memorizing Bible, as you can see, some of those, they don't memorize the Bible. They don't even read the Bible. They read the, quote, improved Bible that goes with their religion. So that's why it's also very good to actually memorize the Bible so you can show them exactly what it says. When you get into those the other writings and stuff like that, you, you'll know because you memorize the actual Bible, you're going, ah, that's not what it says. That's not yeah. what, you know, that's not what the Bible says. That's what we're just going to ask. How about we do it next week so we can, okay, or is it early? Okay, let's do that. All right, uh, Tony Tate, would you pray for us then as we transition and go forward? All right, let's do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. Uh, we thank you uh, for the offering and the time and, um, Lord, uh, just all the verses that were shared. I need the word in your heart. Uh, every good and perfect gift. Uh, trust and love fall in your heart. Everything that you've memorized, God, it's your word to be a workman of proof. It's your faithful word, God, and we thank you for your faithful word. And we also thank you, God, that even out of all those words, I mean, there's, they're all so good. But I just think of when they said, he is risen, and that can only be said one time. And it can always be said, you are risen, you are victorious, and out of your victory, God, I just pray, God, that we will... That we praise you with words, with our feet, whatever we do, through your strength, through your grace, Lord Jesus. And even though our bodies have been toiled or whatever we've gone through, God, you went to that cross. Your body was mangled like no other. Couldn't even recognize you, says Isaiah 53. Didn't even still know who you were. But now we do through your spirit, by your strength and grace, Lord, bless this time. Jesus' name. Amen.
about to share with you um, may or may not come to you as a great revelation. I hope it, it does not, uh, but uh, it did to me, at least in one major point, and so uh, I'm going to get there pretty fast. The text that we're going to study today, we've already studied. 
So a, a lot of times when I stand before you, I have to kind of teach through the text and explain because we haven't done it in a while or we haven't looked at it. And then I have to kind of come back and preach in the three points kind of method and, and really get, bring it home what I think God wants us to see for that day. But this passage of scripture, we have already studied it with this entire group. We, we did it in a part of a sermon earlier this month. And then the main key verse, the first starting verse, I don't know if it's the main key verse, but the starting verse we looked at last week as the kind of the starting point. And then this is right picking on up from there. And so we will not be teaching through this passage of scripture today, which means we will get to the points really fast. And this message will go by fairly fast, I think. I mean, uh, it did when I, I practiced, and I, so I think uh, I'm asking you to really be in it with me, because we're gonna, and then it's gonna be there all of a sudden, and it hit me when it got to me, it really hit me in the face, and I, and I realized that this is something that we have been dealing with, not in my family, and in our church, and in really every church I've ever been in, for since I became a Christian and even before I became a Christian, I can see it now. I couldn't see it uh, when I was a young Christian, and I hadn't really put my finger on it until this message right here, okay? So that being said, I want to say, if we don't get this thing that is shown here in this passage, the very salvation that we claim can maybe be kind of stolen from us. We say it can never be stolen, but the truth is we may never actually have had it. Okay? There is a question about perseverance of the saints, a question about never, uh, you know, once saved, always saved. And this, what we're going to look at here today, if you don't get it, if we don't get it, there's a chance we never got it, this part of Jesus' message. And then that's where maybe we say our salvation can't be stolen, but maybe it kind of can be because we really missed this key thing that Jesus was trying to show us by all that he did. Uh, well, now I'm going to get it straight out of the scripture, so don't trust me in that, but you'll see it as it develops, okay? So grab your Bibles and go with me if you would again, one more time. To Luke chapter 2. Amen. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. It is 2023. And we begin reading in verse 21, which is the verse that I was I kind of ended with as we read in Luke last week. And it says in Luke 2, 21, And when eight, eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he got his name, Jesus, because the angel gave it to Mary. We hammered that kind of hard last week. Then 22. And when the days for their purification according to the laws of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him." So we're going to deal with kind of two people. Obviously, got Mary and Joseph and Jesus all there, but we're really talking about two people in the passage. One is Simeon. We kind of studied him before a little bit, but here we see he is a righteous man. Okay, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, was upon Simeon, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him, that's Jesus, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, this is verse 29, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation 
which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So that was the prophecy, if you will, that he gave in the Holy Spirit as he held the baby Jesus. Verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, she's the second character, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, the baby Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So first of all, we see Simeon. Simeon was looking to see the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one. In fact, God had told him through his Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit, that that promise would be fulfilled in his sight and that he would not die. So the first thing in the text to realize is that Simeon was looking to see the coming of the Christ expecting to see it before his death because there was a Holy Spirit imbued promise. I submit to you that like Simeon, we are looking for the coming of the Christ. Without dwelling on that, I submit to you that there are promises in the New Testament that we can live. And if you will read those promises, and there are more than I'm going to list here, but there are three in particular that tie right in with the way Simeon perceived life and what he was expecting, what he was doing. Okay. The first is that Jesus promised that he would be with us. Of course, that comes from Matthew 28. Now, it's an if. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. Now there's a lot of people who want to claim the promise that Jesus said that he would be with us even unto the end of the age without realizing it's contingent in the command that Jesus gave. He said, and I will be, meaning if you do that, and I will do this. It's a quid pro quo of a sort. The truth is, Jesus promised via the Holy Spirit, you can go in Matthew 28 and read it, I guarantee you, if you go read the end of Matthew 28, chapter 28, and there it says, and lo, I will be with you even in the end of the world. If you are a Christian and you are here and you are following the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian, that's the kind of people we say we are, the church is that. If we are that, then that testimony will be there for you. You will feel the Holy Spirit inside you and you say, God, God, are you with me? And the Holy Spirit will say, yes, I am here. Now you may say it quietly because you may have been doing a number of things that have offended the Holy Spirit or even kind of squashed his testimony in you. But the truth is we have the Holy Spirit testimony, not 
separately or alone, but through Matthew 28, testifying, Lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. Notice how that is very similar to the situation of Simeon because the Holy Spirit was, doesn't say in him, but upon him. God's Holy Spirit presence was upon Simeon. Simeon had the promise that he would see the Christ. Now, we don't have a promise. There's nowhere in Scripture they have a promise that you will see the Christ before you die on earth. There is no promise of that. Okay, There's a promise that at salvation, he will come and take a present you, and he does that in the form of his Holy Spirit. Okay, But there is no promise that Jesus will come again before we die. However, we have a Holy Spirit promise, God-given through his word, that Jesus will be with us if we are about his business. Secondly, we have a, a promise which Paul wrote out, a Holy Spirit promise, that God will turn all things, he will work all things together for our good. So we have a Holy Spirit promise that he will work all things together for our good if, indeed, we love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Again, it's a quid pro quo. This is the kind of people we are. We love the Lord. I love God. And I'll talk a little bit more about why that is, but I love God pretty much with all that I am. Okay, I, I often think that I love my wife more than money, more than food, more than time, more than recreation, more than anything that I do. I love my wife probably more than any human being on the face of the earth. I love my children, and I don't want to tell them, I love you less than your mother. I'm not doing that, but I'm saying I love my wife more than anyone, okay? But I love God more than my wife. And then it says, if you love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, if you'll be what? Matthew 28, Right? That go ye therefore. Jesus gave us the great commission. And, and love one another. The basic things that God wants to do. Then God will work all things together for your good. Notice that is similar to Simeon's situation because Simeon had been promised that he would see the Christ before he died. That meant whatever he was going through, if a Mack truck drew through the side of the temple right into Simeon's bedroom and ran over his bed, right? Simeon would have survived because he was going to see the Christ before he died. If Simeon wound up in a wheelchair or coughed horribly for the remainder of his life and couldn't see out one eye or was blind or deaf or whatever, he could know because God had told him that he would see the Christ before he died. He could, whatever that is, it's all going to turn out this way. I'm going to see the Christ before I die because he had a Holy Spirit promise that we have a similar protection, if you will, that God will turn everything out for your good. It may be tough at times, but he will make everything out for your good if you love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And if you go there in Romans 8, you read that verse, you can feel the Holy Spirit say to you, look, he's going to do it. It's going to work out. In the worst of times, it's going to work out. And then third, we have a promise that he's coming again. Maybe the greatest promise of all, this is especially good because of uh, the nature of Simeon's promise. But we know that Jesus is coming again. He said, if I, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that you may be there with me also. He is the way to the Father and he is making it ready for us. Ariana said, why is it taking him so long to build me my mansion? I said, it's not, honey. I said, that mansion is going to be based on all that you have lived in life. So it's going to be all taken into account, everything. So I say, right now, what's your favorite color? She said, pink. I said, in 50 years, your favorite color might be green. So you might have green rugs or green paintings or green walls or a green mansion or a green, you know, whatever. It might be more green because by that, 
Bottom line is, we don't know what that's exactly like, but your mansion is under construction because you are under construction. It's not taken in forever. He's taking into account everything that you are living through and everything that you are doing. He is coming again and will take us to be there with him for an eternity. Notice the similarity between that and Simeon's promise. Simeon had the Holy Spirit on him, upon him, and the Holy Spirit had told him, you will see the Christ before you die. Now, we don't have that exact kind of promise, but we know that Jesus is coming again. And if he comes again before we die, we will see it and we will know it. And it will not be a surprise to us, even though it will be a surprise in timing or surprise in the way it happens a little bit. But it will not be a surprise to us. We will be summoned, meet with him. The Bible says we will meet with him in the air. First uh, Thessalonians, I think it is four. We will meet with him in the air. He is coming again. Now, as I said, there are others, but these three promises we can claim every day. You can see how they can get you through essentially everything you're going through if you will, if you just trust in those promises of the Lord. Notice that there is an if in every one. I didn't mention the if of coming again. He's coming again. But the question is going to be, what's it going to be like for you when he comes again? If he comes again and you have not trusted in him and you're not following him or you've built on the foundation of Christ things that are not good, then it ain't going to be pleasant when he comes. So it'll be great when he comes if indeed we are following him. So there are Holy Spirit promises for us and they will be fulfilled just as they were for Simeon. The second thing in here is to say the truth about Jesus is amazing. Notice that Mary and Joseph were going, whoa, whoa, what did that mean? They were taken aback, aghast, baffled, amazed, confused by everything that was being said about the baby Jesus. Despite the story of the singing angels from, from that they would, that they just heard eight days before, right? Despite the shepherds that came. And the craziness of the night of his birth and all that, how it went down, they were amazed at the prophecy that's now being spoke about him. And and let me just say to you, the truth about Jesus is amazing. It's amazing grace, but it's not just amazing grace. Everything about Jesus is amazing. They were hearing that he would be salvation. It is amazing to think that the God of the universe would send his own son to die for me or come in the flesh, if you can understand the the doctrine of the Trinity, as we do, to die for me, to pay for. That means when I lied for that lie I told or lies I told back in the day, I would have gone to hell for eternity, separated from God forever. But Jesus wasn't having that, so he died on the cross to pay for my lies. The, the stuff I stole when I was a kid and never told anybody about and as even as a teenager and, and got away with and whatever, Jesus died on the cross to pay for that for me. This is an amazing truth about Jesus, that Jesus would be the salvation. But not just the salvation for the Jews or the Gentiles, but the salvation for all people all time. God prepared this salvation in the presence of all people. Literally everybody on the face of the earth, blind as they may be, confused as they may be, everybody on the face of the earth can figure out that they have, a, that they have sin and that that sin would be a problem if they bumped into a holy God. There were bullies in my neighborhood when I was growing up. There was one kid in particular who had become a bully, and he was just about uh, 20% faster than me, 20% stronger than me, and he was really smart. And so whenever he would come and play 
there was this kind of nagging thing in the back of my head. We played kickball. We used to play Tron where we throw frisbees at each other. Did all these things in my side yard. There was this kind of thing in the back of my head that I had to kind of be on my best behavior because he was faster and stronger than me. When he didn't come play, I was the fastest, strongest kid playing. And even if I wasn't the fastest, strongest, I was always the craftiest and most manipulative. And so there was one kid who was maybe stronger than me, but he wasn't faster than me. And there was a kid who was faster than me, but he wasn't stronger than me. And none of the kids were as crafty and manipulated as I was. So I could basically run the show. I picked the teams. I told them, this is the game. I'm done playing that game. Now I want to play this game. And everybody did what I told them to do for several years. But then when he would come... I had to kind of be, and by the time we were done playing, we'd butt heads. Next thing you know, it's a fight. And I already told you, he was faster than me and stronger than me, and he was at least as crafty and manipulative as I was. So you know how those fights went, right? So I learned too much of, this is when I learned a lesson, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So we'd play for a while, and we'd just kind of like, oh, let's play this, let's talk it out. And him and I would do most of the side, and we'd do, and four, six, eight hours would go by, and then I'd say, you know what, I think I better go in. No fight had happened, no real arguments. I think I better go. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it a day. I'm gonna go in. I don't have to go in. And they'd be like, you don't have to go in. Your mom's not calling you. You don't have to go in. You already ate dinner. You don't have to go in. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go in. And I would go in because I didn't want to get in conflict. Listen, if the person you're dealing with is faster than you and smarter than you and stronger than you, and believe me, God is faster and smarter and you can be as crafty as you want. You can convince yourself you can get away with it. When you stand in front of God, there will be no getting away with anything. And people can figure out that if they would stand in front of a holy God and have to answer for the way they have lived their lives, that they will suffer for what they have done. It's not complicated. They are constantly trying to trick, when they don't want to believe, they're trying to trick themselves. There is no God, or the God isn't like you say it is, or the God, you know, uh, you got to follow these rules, and if you just follow these rules, then when you stand before Him, even though you did it when you were a kid and a teenager and a young adult, but you start following out, you stand before Him, as long as you do more good than bad, then you'll just have a flip a coin, maybe you'll make it in. That's the third major, most major religion in the world. That's basically how it works. And there's millions of people all over the earth that want to believe that because they know when they stand before a holy God, they're going to answer for what they've done. There are more people in the world that have figured out that you've done bad and you're going to answer for the bad that you do when you stand before God than there are that have not figured that out. The ones that haven't figured out are few and far between. But there's a lot of big effort to go, no, 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 not me. No, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm better. Haven't I always done a good job? Blah, 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 blah. Right? Because this salvation is in the presence of everyone. It's amazing that God could do that. Not... Not that he could do it because he has the capability, but he baffles my mind how awesome and powerful he is that he could, in one event, save anybody who's willing to be saved and that everyone, everywhere, could figure it out. There are people who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ without anyone telling them how to do it. Because it's done in the presence of everybody. It's plain and out. It's amazing. The teaching the truth about Jesus is amazing. He would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. See, the Jews kind of already had salvation. What they were told to do, Old Testament, is basically trust in the way that God would make. So it was accessible to them. If they would just trust in the way that God would make, they would be saved. That was it. That was their very simple gospel from the Old Testament to all the way up to Jesus' birth. Right? problem was, when Jesus came, which was the way that God would make, they didn't want to trust in the way that God would make. Well, that's another problem. The Gentiles didn't have any of that. They didn't know... 
so they didn't necessarily understand who God was for sure or how many gods there were or whether it was just the God of the Jews and he would never save them. They were distant. But at a moment in time, through the crucifixion and through the gospel and the spreading of the church and God's Holy Spirit to do so, empowering witness, everyone could figure out now that this salvation was not just for the Jews. It was going to be for the Gentiles too. Guess who already knew that? The Jews. They already knew. They already knew that the salvation was going to be for everybody, but the Gentiles didn't. The Jews were supposed to be taking it to everybody, but they weren't. Some of them were, but not nearly enough and not effectively or efficiently enough to get the job done. God prepared this salvation in the presence of all people, and Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles so they could be saved like the Jews. He would be the glory of God's people, and that was referring to the Jews first and then the Gentiles and the church at large. Jesus is our glory. The light of revelation that is Jesus has shined on God's people. And you can go and talk to somebody. I've had a couple of different conversations. We're sharing the gospel with somebody. Not, not nearly enough. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I stand before you today ashamed of how little I have shared the gospel. So don't go, well, that's Pastor Danny. Talk to everybody about Jesus. I am consistently ashamed of how little I share the gospel with people. But I will tell you that almost half the time that I've shared the gospel with somebody... That person was going, I wish somebody would come and tell me how to get saved. They didn't say it necessarily. One time I actually had somebody walk in the front door of the life station and go, I heard this is a Christian operation. I said, yeah. And he said, will you tell me what I have to do to be saved? And so I did because I recognized that verse from Paul's life, right? It happened to him. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? So I, I did. But many times I've been sharing the gospel and I run into people. And basically I run into people who don't want to hear it at all because they know if they were in God's presence, they would answer I run into people that are kind of in the middle. If you overcome some of their objection, tell them how available it is. Like the people who say, well, yeah, I want to believe, but I'm so wicked or I have so many sins or whatever. I can't possibly be saved. Those people really want to hear it. And then I've heard people, about half the people that I've talked to, were waiting for somebody to tell them. Listen, I tell you right now, if we all left here today and told three people by next Sunday the truth, the actual biblical truth about Jesus in the simplest of terms, we would all come back in here with stories of 20 people getting saved. You're like, but I don't have anybody to tell. Yeah, you do. You have people all over your life that you can tell. And it's already done in the presence. And the light of revelation is not you or your words. It's Jesus. It's already there. You just need, we just need to go and tell them. And it's available to anyone. Or as Ariana's devotional said last night, as we're reading it at 1230, which we never read it that late, as we're reading it, it said, salvation is for everyone. It's for everyone. So, Look, Jesus is appointed for the rise and the fall. He would be a sign. Look, a sword would hit Mary's soul. Hit Mary's, strike Mary's soul. And thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. We are living in the day of looking. This is what it's like. Sometimes, being a Christian, I'm, I'm going to be completely plain with you right now, sometimes being a Christian sucks. Okay, finish up what you're doing for one second and then put that away. This is not the time, okay? Thank you. All right. Sometimes being a Christian sucks. It's hard work. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who needed not to be ashamed means it's hard work. Be diligent. Study. Work. Do the work. 
And working sometimes tires you out. It hurts. It's painful. It causes sweat. You get blisters. This is what we're talking about. Spiritual work. Sometimes you've got to be willing to divorce yourself. You've got to put your phone down. Stop doing whatever you're doing. Stop your distractions. It's not about just passing the time. It's about the work that needs to be done as a Christian. And we're looking for something and we're working towards it. And it's tough. Mary's soul will be struck with a sword. A sign would be given. And thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. It's not going to be easy all the time. This lady was 84 years old and she was serving. I thought about Judy who didn't live to be 84 years old. But Judy with a trach in her throat. Pain a little every day. Not a lot of pain, but a little every day. Hardly able to talk. Her glasses prescription could not keep up. She was getting glasses every four months. Right? Most of you go like, oh, it's almost time a year from now. I gotta get my glasses again, right? Right? She was getting glasses again every four months. She had all these medications she had to take, this big medication divider. All her medications stepped out, had to take every day. She had to have a machine at night to make sure her oxygen stayed up while she was sleeping. Because otherwise she could just randomly die. She was on radiate or on chemo. She couldn't take radiation. She was on chemo. And she was volunteering at the church building or at the life station and talking about Jesus three to four days a week. Can you lift 20 pounds? She couldn't. Can you get up without immense pain? She couldn't. Now, when she got up, she was fine. She would walk around my house and play bouncing the ball back and forth with Ariana for an hour. Ariana was two or three years old. When's the last time you spent an hour or two or three making a small child feel good about themselves? See, when you start to run out and it really hurts and it really sucks and it really gets difficult, you're going to go, man, I wish when I was younger, stronger, whatever, I had all that going on that I had done more. Right? And then you'll push by, and then you'll overcome the pain, you'll overcome the difficulty, and you'll really do the hard work of recognizing the truth about Jesus is truly amazing. But right now, while we're still young and strong and can do all these things, we'd rather play, we'd rather watch TV, we'd rather work on our, our, our personal stuff, or our projects, or our, our health, or our finances, or our whatever. You don't have time. The truth about Jesus is amazing. They were looking for the redemption of the Jews and the salvation that would be for all people. And she was fasting and serving daily in the temple. Fasting, praying, and serving daily in the temple at 84 years old. Before I go on to my final point and then my conclusion, I want to ask you to think about this question for a moment. Why do people pray and fast? Now, Praying and fasting has essentially just a few purposes. It seems like you could do it for a lot of things, but it isn't. Biblical fasting has these three purposes. Number one, to seek God. In other words, I want to draw closer to God. The Bible says you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. So I want to draw close to God. So I fast, I give up food. And by the way, the original fasting was to give up all food and all water for a period of time. There's a few different ways you can fast. You can Daniel fast, which means you only eat fruits and vegetables. Um, don't drink anything that's not made of a fruit or a vegetable. Don't eat anything that's not made of a fruit or a vegetable. You can't use salt, right? Because that's a mineral, not a fruit or a vegetable. All those guys, Daniel fasting. 
You fast, one of the main reasons is to seek God or draw close to God. So, she's seeking God. Another reason is to entreat God. To beg God to do something you want God to do. To God, please give me this request. And you can do that as a form of intercession for other people. You know, look at the book of Esther, where Esther had to go in front of the king and she might have been going to die because if you walk in front of the king under your own volition, if he doesn't tip the scepter towards you, you're dead. He doesn't have to say a word, but if he doesn't tip the scepter, they take you out and kill you right then. That was the law. And so she and her uncle and all their, her, all her kind of, uh, women that were with her and all his friends, they all fasted for three days before she went before the king. And then he tripped, he tipped his scepter and his scepter toward her and she was not put to death. And that was all because they entreated God to intervene. So it's about entreating God. And then lastly, it's about taming self. It's about getting yourself under control. Because the truth is, we're so wrapped up in the things that we like to do in this life that we can't put ourselves completely on the line for the things that are right. In the moment, we might. I'd love to be able to sacrifice my life for somebody if, I, if that's what God requires me to do. But in the, I might do it. But if I tame myself and I know I'm completely under control, then I can know that I will do what's right. And until you do that, until you tame yourself, you can't know in the moment if you'll do what's right because you might be in the middle of one of your fits. Or you might be in the middle of one of your health struggles. Or you might be in the middle of distraction by one of your friends or family members or pastimes. So you don't even know if you'll be paying attention, let alone doing the right thing. So she was fasting, which means she was seeking God and treating God and taming self and probably all three of those things. And then she was praying. She was talking to God, listening and interceding. There's really only three things in prayer. You can do it a lot. You can do it a lot of different ways. But basically, you talk to God, you listen to God, and you intercede for other for other people. So you're talking for them, you're listening for them, right? Or you're talking or listening for yourself. That's basically what it comes down to. And so this lady at 84 years old, who's fasting and praying, I want you to see what her response is, and we're going to go to the final point. After being a person at 84 years old that does nothing but fast and pray and serve in the temple every day, all day, every night, all night, that's all she does, she runs into Jesus and what does she do? She is speaking of Jesus to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So her response after encountering Jesus, after all her praying and fasting and service, all her seeking God and treating God and taming herself, all her talking to God and listening to God and interceding for others, all of that, her response is she is telling everyone about Jesus. And we go to the third point. Even so, I accept things aren't right. Have you noticed that things aren't right? That there are people in the world who are, in, in, in this world, in this country even, who are literally starving. While in food banks, 200 pallets of cereal stacked fill an entire warehouse. A block away or three blocks away is somebody who hasn't eaten in three days. This is the country that we live in. But that's just hunger. There's a guy who was living at the, just very briefly, he and his wife were having a disagreement. He was living at the Mission downtown. I think it's on Madison. It's the, it's, it's like, uh, you rent, you pay to stay there, not the Cherry Street Mission. And it's across the street from there, across the street, a kitty corner from the Y. And he came outside one night to walk to the carryout, and two young men, 115 and 117, beat him to death. They attacked him. 
They didn't know him from Adam, never met him before. They attacked him, threw him down in the parking lot, and kicked him until he was dead. They did it as an initiation into a gang, because the gang told them if they would kill somebody, they could be part of the gang. Now, they're both in jail, probably for life, because they were tried as adults. He's dead. He would have re- probably reconciled with his wife, and got, they got back together, but for the, at the time, they were separated, but they were planning on getting back together. And now, his children will be raised fatherless. Have you noticed something is actually wrong in this world? While we have the most important truth that we can possibly have and God is speaking to us, we are distracted by the things of this world. Something is wrong. So all the while that we have Holy Spirit promises that are going to be fulfilled, Holy Spirit promises that we can trust in because God never makes a promise and doesn't keep, doesn't make, keep that promise, right? He doesn't fu- fail to fulfill his promises. And the truth about Jesus is the most amazing thing. While all of that is going on, the church at large, 80 to 90%, is failing to tell anyone about Jesus. And people are sitting in church. Now, not in our church, praise God, because what we teach here is the Bible. Right? But people are sitting in churches filled with 200, 300, 500, 2,000, 3,000 people that ask them and they can't tell you two of the Ten Commandments. They might tell you something like what Miss Chris showed us in that video, that Jesus was an angel or just a human being. Now, they'll sit in the church building every week on Sunday, Saturday night, whatever, whatever their meeting time is, and they sit there and they don't have doctrine. Now, you won't, you won't be able to persist in this church not understanding the basic truths about Jesus because if you're sitting in here in this room, you're getting what the Bible says and what we know to be true out of what the Bible says. But in other churches all over the world, that's not necessarily true. And as you'll notice, we don't have 2,000 people. I submit to you, if we'll take the gospel out and start to preach something a little more friendly, a little less cut to the quick, a little less demanding, we could get ourselves a few hundred people. There are places in the world where you can get paid to go to temple. There's a guy in uh, that was quoted publicly. You can probably Google it. And he said that, he was really struggling financially. He started going to temple and they pay him to go to temple and he goes five days a week. And now because of that, that combined with what money he makes, he's fine. He's, ec- he's economically solid because they pay him to go to temple every week. <laughs> she wasn't getting paid to be there. You're not getting paid to be here. The bottom line is things are not right in this world. And while you are living in this world, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to regularly run into things that are not right. It's going to happen literally every day, all the time. Now, your chief tool for dealing with that is sharing the gospel. If you run into somebody that's addicted to drugs, share Jesus with them. You can't get them unaddicted. You can't stay with them 24 hours a day and get them off. It's not going to happen. You run into somebody who's truly bankrupt, financially hurting, share Jesus with them. Because you can't financially make them stable. You're not going to get them a job, pay their bills, pay their utilities, buy them a house, pay all their medical stuff, get them on their feet. You can't do it. You're not physically able. You might be able to do it with one person over the space of 10 years, right? But Jesus has made these promises. I will be with them. I will turn all things out for their good. And I am coming again to take them where I am for an eternity. Those are things you can't do. But Jesus can. So the first thing you do before you do anything else to help someone is make sure they're saved. Now, if they don't want to hear it, 
doesn't mean you can't be compassionate or loving toward them. That's fine. But the bottom line is, things are not right in this world. So lately, now I'm going to, coming into my conclusion right now, I, there is this phenomenon that has occurred. In fact, uh, it, it happened to me last night. I watch movies with my wife. She likes, she likes uh, dramas with just maybe a hint of comedy or a hint of action. You know, good writing, good characterization. That's basic. I like good writing, good characterization. And we'll get to the height of the movie. We'll come to a moment in time. Happened last night. I'll tell, I'll tell you. Has anyone ever seen the show Madam Secretary? Raise your hand. Okay, we got one person in the entire room. Two. Anybody else? Three? Okay. So not a lot. If you want to watch it, it's fine. It's on Netflix. You can watch it for free if you have Netflix. Um, and if you, you probably can find episodes on YouTube and that kind of thing. I'm not, I don't even know that it's a good show. I'm not recommending the show. But I'm going to tell you that there is a scene she, in the show where Madam Secretary has become Madam President. And Madam President has been getting impeached. They've been trying to impeach her. They're having impeachment hearings trying to kick her out. And gets to the end of that time and it's been in turmoil and she's exhausted and she finally sleeps in one day. And while she's sleeping in one day, her husband comes to wake her up and actually he doesn't wake her up. He's sitting in the room but he doesn't wake her up and she hears this noise and she wakes up. She says, what is going on? What is that? And he said, he says, come and look. And they look outside and a huge protest has broke out all over the United States and it started with a 10-year-old girl who asked her mom to drive her to Washington D.C. and put up a sign that says, She's my president. And people, it picked up on social media, whatever, and people all over the country come out for the She's My President movement. After all the hard work that she's been doing, she's physically exhausted, she finally gets a day of sleep in the morning, sleeps in a little bit, and then the millions of people come out protesting, saying she's my president, and they voted not to impeach, and it all blows over, and, and, and I'm watching the show, and I have to take my glasses off. You know why? Because tears are streaming down my face. It's just, it's just a show. It's not even real. Right? I don't get worked up when a dinosaur eats half a person. Okay? I don't watch those shows because I just don't want to see it, but it doesn't bother me. Right? I don't get worked up when, when uh, a villain shoots a cop in the head or somebody gets tortured for, on TV. I don't watch that stuff because I don't want to see it, but it wouldn't really bother me to see that. But I'm, my tears are streaming down my face. And I'm asking myself, I'm saying, why? Why can I watch a show and it comes to a moment of human triumph and I'm crying like a baby? Not a sobbing, but I can produce about like a, probably a pint of water out of my face in a moment like that. Why? I'll tell you why. Because every day, all day, I'm living in a world it's not right. Things are wrong. Suffering. Darkness. Evil. Wickedness even. You can call it that. People do what it is that they want to do rather than doing what's right. And I see it all the time. And all the time I'm vexed. All the time I'm irritated. All the time I'm sad. And then in that moment of human triumph, I think about, I, I, I'm feeling, I'm sensing God saying, see, I love you. Saving you. I have promised you eternity with me. And this little moment is just like a hint or an inkling of what that's going to be like. Human triumph is finding Jesus Christ 
in salvation and living in eternity with God. That's human triumph. That's how you get beyond. So the guy backs out of his driveway and T-bones your van. That sucks. Right? But we have promises. And we are looking for the fulfillment of those promises. And it aches. It's like a thirst. And Jesus said, come and have living water, right? And so this is the mistake that people have made. Well, if you will become a Christian and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be all right. Everything will be great. Even quoting, God will work everything out for your good and Jesus will always be with you and all that kind of, It's going to be great. You're not going to encounter difficulties that you can't handle. God, misquoted Bible, God will never give you more than you can handle. If you can show me that in the scripture and I've searched thoroughly, I would be amazed because it ain't there. Okay? The closest you'll get is about temptation. And with temptation, he always makes a way out. Right? That's the closest you'll get. There's nothing else that's even remotely close to God won't give you more than you can handle. But that's the gospel that's being taught. And this is what's happening. People are believing that when you start to be a Christian, everything will now be perfect, everything will be okay, and you won't be affected by this world. That is not the gospel that Jesus taught. Right? He actually said, when they hate you, don't be surprised, because they hated me first. And now I'm paraphrasing, but when you struggle, see the difficulties, face all the challenges, don't be surprised. The student is not greater than the master. And well, what did they do to him? They crucified him for crying out loud. The gospel is not us sailing through life and everything is okay. I preached a sermon recently about holy discontent and discontent. And I said this, I said, if it's holy discontent, if it comes from the Lord, you're meant to do something about it. We broke down those steps, right? But if it's discontent that has nothing to do with God, if it's not holy discontent, then most of the time, you're just supposed to let it go. You don't have time to stop and be vexed by everything that you're seeing, experiencing, what you don't think is right. You don't have time to stop and try to fix every little injustice in the world. You're busy doing something. The looking, the waiting, the watching God do what God is, that's where our eyes need to be. Christianity is this statement. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The Bible says this in Revelation 22. I'm going to flip there and read it. You can flip along if you want. Revelation 22. Way to the end. It's going to be the very end of your Bible. Which kind of is good because that means it's, it's sort of the end that settles the matter, if you will. Revelation 22, 16 and 17. Jesus is speaking in 16, 22, 16. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. 17 says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. So not Jesus speaking, but the Holy Spirit of God and the bride. Who's that, by the way? That's the church. The bride is the church, right? So, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. See, if you're not 
living that vexation, if you have not experienced that trouble, if you cannot figure out that the world is not right and that where we are going it will be, but right now it's never going to be exactly right. If you cannot be thirsty, if you cannot be aching for the people around, if you cannot be caring about things that you can't do anything about and go like, man, I've got a list of things and this is not justice, I've got to fix this and I've got to do that, except realizing in Christ, no, I must. what I really have to do is be still and know that He is God and trust that He will fulfill His promises. And I'm looking for when He will fulfill His promises, not when I can get everything fixed that is bothering me. In case you hadn't figured out this already, if you could manage to get, say, six months off work and not have to work and not have to cook and not have to clean and not have to do laundry, not have to pay any bills and spend that entire six months fixing all the things about life that bother you, it would be a drop in a hat because by the time you got to the end of the six months, there would be 60 times as much stuff as there was at the beginning because you'd have been spending that time not only trying to fix everything, but also discovering everything that's truly wrong. You can't do it. What you can do is recognize that it's real and receive that pledged down payment promise. Jesus has filled you up with the Holy Spirit if you become a Christian, sealed you for eternity. And the Bible says that that is a down payment, a pledge. Look at Ephesians 1. This is the last verses that we'll read for the day. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the gospel of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, or you'll find a little subnote there because it could be translated down payment, a pledge or a down payment, given as a pledge or of our inheritance with a view, that means you're looking to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You were thirsty, so you came to Christ. And He gave you His Holy Spirit, which is living water, and will not run out, but will fuel you until He fulfills His promise, at which time you will receive in total the presence of God. Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God in the coolness of the day, but never had God's Holy Spirit living in them. They were innocent and without shame. Then they sinned against God, and they lost fellowship with Him and every generation since. But if you've been born again as a Christian, if you become a follower of God through Jesus Christ, then that fellowship with God has been restored. And His Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. That's the living water, John 4. And it's always available. It never runs out. But you're living in a world where things are not right, looking for a world where things will be right. That's what salvation is. It's as if I came to say to you, I'm going to give you a mansion one day. When you're 90, if you live that long, I'm going to give you the best house you ever lived in. I'm building it now. It's in sunny California or fruit country, uh, Florida or whatever. It's going to be three, four stories. And I'm going to move in all your family. I'm going to give you several cars with it, whatever. And you go like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're going to do that. That's so much. You're just one person. I'm like, yeah, but I've got God on my side. He's pouring in the resources. And you go, ah, I still don't believe you. And I said, all right, you know what? You don't believe me? Here's what I'll do. I'll give you $100 million right now. You're like, you got $100 million. I'm saying, watch me. 
Here's the check. You look at the check. I don't believe in the check. This is stupid. It's a check. It's a cashier's check. What is it? Cashier's check for $100 million? That's something. You take it to the bank. They cash it. You put $100 million in your bank account. The next day, you go to McDonald's and you use your debit card. Right? And you check it. It says you have $999 million left. Or whatever. $99 million, $999,000 left. Right? You're like, there really was $100 Maybe he's really going to build me that mansion because now I just got, he actually did give me the $100 million. It's amazing what Jesus can do. He said, when I go back to heaven, I will send you my God's Holy Spirit as a down payment for what I'm going to do. You don't have to trust me and nothing happens. You trust me and I'll send you the Holy Spirit and He'll be in you and then you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day for my eternal, everlasting, unstopping glory, I'm going to bring you to be with me forever. And you're like, oh, that's great, but I'm, I'm supposed to believe that down the road that God's going to do that. I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be great. I, I have to believe that. He sends his Holy Spirit as a down payment to testify with your spirit. Now you know that you're saved. You know where you're going when you die. So when you look around and you should and see all of this that's not right, everything that you see that's not right is a reminder of how right that's going to be. And if you can't look around, if you're a coward, I was, so I get this. You look, you look around and go, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to recognize the problems of the world because then I might have to do something about them or God might use me. You know, like if I pray that God will send workers into the harvest like the disciples did, then maybe God will send me into the harvest, right? Like he did with the disciples. If you recognize the problems and start doing something about them, which would start with the gospel, of course, it's going to be work. It's going to be hard. The world is not right. It's messed up. And we are, for the meantime, until Jesus come again, meant to be the solution to the problem, not the problem. To say that our lives are not about arrival is not quite accurate. Our lives and everything we experience is exactly about navigating from the moment of our salvation to the moment of the once and for all resolution of that salvation. It is learning to wait on God, to look to God, to trust His promises, and to know that there is no greater calling than to be called sons and daughters of God while we work and serve our way through this life to its conclusion. The hand that clutches us is bloodied and yet strong. Resolute to hold on to us against tangible, jagged assaults on its total sovereignty. Meanwhile, the chief two assaults, the main things, are a misunderstanding of the nature of this walk, which is literally waiting, looking, and faithfulness. If you could get good at waiting on God, get good at looking for God to do what God is going to do, and get good at faithfulness, you'd have mastered the game of life. But we have a misunderstanding of the nature of this walk, and that's the, that's the main attack against God holding on to us. And and an understanding of the readiness of the enemy to use that misunderstanding against us. He wants you to think it should be easy. He wants you to think others should do what you want or you should be able to deal justice or you should be able to fix this problem. The enemy wants you to think that because then when it doesn't happen, it becomes your greatest doubt, your greatest fear, your greatest question. You walk out of the great thing that God is intending for you because it looks like it's going to be hard, because it looks like it's going to be too much, because it doesn't seem wise, because it will cost you a lot. And you go, well... 
when I got saved, God said he was going to be with me always and turn everything out for my good. And I can't see how this could possibly be a good thing. So even though I feel like God is what God wants me to do, I'm not going to do it. Indeed, I have seen the enemy. And if we do not understand this very thing that we're talking about, then I have found that the enemy, he, is us. Because we will undermine everything that God is trying to do in us if we do not accept and realize that your view of the world is always going to be of a world that is not right because it's simply not right. That is an open-eyed view. Every time a lost person who refuses to recognize that they're lost has a windfall in their life, they experience great joy. Right? Great happiness. Oh, yes, my ship finally has come in. She finally did what I wanted her to do. He finally did what I wanted him to do. Finally got the car that I was waiting for. Woo! Heaven on earth, baby! No. No. No success that you ever have, even in serving God, will by any stretch or imagination compare. And there's always another bump in the road waiting. This life is about looking for, living toward the moment in time at which our salvation will be complete. So make yourself about looking in the right direction. About waiting on God to do as He promised. And by the way, eliminate the weight busters, the things that you do to just fill the time, because it's not about getting by while time passes. Waiting on God is not just person, just kind of like existing through it, still surviving. That's a humanistic life. Waiting on God is about being faithful to God and doing the things that God wants you to do. So put the weight busters aside. Get off the phone. Stop playing too many video games or watching too much TV and think about what does God want me to be doing with my time? How can I be bettering myself to be able to serve God better? How can I serve God better? And be found faithful. Literally be looking for every opportunity to serve God you can find and then do those things. These services and things that you do for God, they become your lifeline, your tether, so that when you think you could actually fall out of the carriage, you instead recall He has you right where you are supposed to be. When you see that you have not found what you are looking for, you will remember that that is the way it was meant to be. Video. This is the last thing we're going to do. There was a band called U2. Literally, this is what I know about U2. There's a band called U2. That was it. That's the summation. All right. However, they wrote a song, and it's called I've Not Found What I'm Looking For. Neat thing is they were trying to write a gospel song, even though they were not a gospel band. But they are, oh, I just realized I know more about U2 than I thought I did. They are three guys who profess to be Christians who wrote this song. They come out of Ireland. In fact, the one guy said, I rode my bike to school one day, And because I rode my bike to school, I got to school early. And if I had walked to school like I always did, I would have died like thousands of other people died in three bus bombings in in town that day. They lived through the greatest persecutions of Christian warfare, basically, that took place in Ireland, and they survived it. The day before they made it great, if you want to call becoming a very popular band making it great, they went to their manager and said, we have to stop doing this. We're not going to play music anymore. We've got to get busy serving Jesus. He said, I want you to go back and pray to your God. He was not a Christian. I want you to go back and pray to your God and ask him, 
what do we do then with all the concert dates I just signed up for you for the next year? Do we just cancel all our commitments? And they agreed to go back and pray to God, and they said, and they said God said, keep your commitments, and they became you too. One of the albums they produced, they wanted to write a gospel song. Gospel is considered a genre if you're not saved, right? And so they wanted to write a gospel song. This is the song that they wrote. But this is a video of what happened when they went to go sing that gospel song with an actual gospel choir. Go. Well, who wrote the song is the Philharmonic approach. Um, it's a gospel song, pretty much. I mean, we, it doesn't sound much like a gospel song the way we do it. But if you look at the lyric, the basic music, that's exactly what it is. And we, we got a cassette from uh, a friend of ours in Island Records of uh, the gospel choir covering the song. And it sounded like it totally different, but it sounded really exciting. You, so we traveled down to Harlem, visited this church in the middle of Harlem, where this choir were going through a rehearsal. And uh, we played with them, got the idea to do a kind of combination arrangement.
that statement, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is literally true of every single human being. The lyrics in the song say, I believe in the kingdom come, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Hear me now. No one has. The difference is, we have a down payment and promises from God that we will. If you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've turned your life over to God and you're following the Lord, you receive the Holy Spirit to seal you up for that day at which He will fulfill His promises. You still haven't found what you're looking for? Join the human club. Every human being still breathing hasn't found what they're looking for. Problem is, we know what we're looking for and we know we will one day find it. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Live this way. Understanding. It will always look out here problematic. It's always going to be wrong. But that day, in His presence, tears wiped away, healed, an eternity with God, that day, you will find what you're looking for. Last praise team to come forward at this time and lead us in a closing hymn. This is our opportunity to make a decision to let people know what we've decided. You say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Okay. And that's the way it should be. But will you trust God? The truth about Him is amazing. Healing. It's restarting. You'll start fresh today. Regardless of anything you've ever done, you'll start fresh today. And you'll probably still make mistakes. But His salvation is able to handle it. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live looking for that day, found faithful, stand with me as we sing this song. God is calling you to respond in some way. Then you come to be repenting of a specific sin and turning to Jesus again today or turning to Jesus for the first time ever. Or I need to be baptized, or I need a home church, or I know the ministry that God wants me to do. Whatever it might be, you come and make that public today. Don't say no. He loves you. It's amazing. <clears throat> Pastor Dan, and you've been listening to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Just a couple of reminders. One, you can download our app for your smartphone in the App Store. It's called Life, the number four, Toledo, 
Life for Toledo, our app in the App Store. On the front page, of course, you can get access to podcasts, encouragement calls, and right now, media-free subscription. There's a lot there. Check it out. It's got everything that our website has and more. Also, if you'd like to give, if you feel led of the Lord to give to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, please give by texting GIVE to 419-419-0095. You can also mail checks to 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, and you can go on our website and give with your credit card. The Give, G-I-V-E, to 419-419-0095 will allow you to give on your credit card or debit card via your cell phone. If you are in need of encouragement, please sign up for our encouragement calls on our website, on the tab, or in the app on the tab labeled Lift Me or Encourage Me, and we'll happily sign you up for our encouragement calls now going out to 1,100 households all around the Toledo area primarily. May God bless you as you seek to reach New Heights in Jesus Christ. If you have felt the leading to join New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, but you're listening to this podcast from somewhere else in the world, you should know that we have what are called non-resident members. So we have members that believe that God is leading them to be a member of the church, but they have geographical or otherwise barriers that preclude them from doing so. You can read about membership on our website or in our app, and there's more there about becoming a non-resident member. If you just need information, talk to somebody on the phone, you can call the Life Station Call Center at 419-242-3340 and talk to Miss Chris, Sister Chris, who is a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church and works for the Life Station, and she'll happily explain all of these things to you and get your questions answered. May God bless you as you serve Him right where you are and reach New Heights in Jesus.